Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Hey everybody, welcome back to another all-new X's for Podcast, a show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. Now, I'm Nico, and you guys can find me snicking along on Twitter and Instagram on Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And it's a Marvel Fanfare Friday, and you know what that means. It means I couldn't kick this thing off without some help. So with me here to kick off this amazing episode full of phenomenal Marvel characters is our very own, the wonderful TK. Hey guys, I'm TK. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at xnatexgrayx. And, you know, it's so exciting because even when Marvel is having all of these shipping issues, and don't get me wrong, there are a plenty of them, they're still managing to get such quality stories out. And I'm so excited about a number of the stories we're going to be taking a look at today. We have our resident trio of Nathan, Steve, and Raven, and they're amazing guests who come in and help them take a look at these stories. They're going to be taking a look at Moon Knight number 10 and Strange number two. Normally, I would never run a double team back to back like that, but a double team. Uh, but I would, you know, love to make sure that we try to keep a little bit of that organization with all of these weird shipping issues. The fact that you were all so nice to me about that Mary kind of X-Men adjacent pretending that was X-Men X Wednesday is so nice of you. I mean, it was worth it for the content that we got out of that. Oh, exactly. Right? Now, TK, how have you felt about the ever-expanding nature of our show's coverage? Has this brought you to a lot of new material? Have you, you know, sort of stumbled into stuff? Or was this always where you were headed? I do not think this is always where I was headed. I think I was pretty reticent to get into especially a lot of the Infinity comics that didn't apply to stuff that I was already interested in, which means I was not reading much that wasn't X-Men. Or, you know, maybe I would peek at something that seemed adjacent to the latest Marvel movie. But as I have started doing the podcast, for one thing, I've gotten interested in whole other sides of the Marvel Universe, like Daredevil, like Doctor Strange. And then from there, little things like because I was into Doctor Strange, I was kind of picking up the other Death of Doctor Strange titles, which because of that, I read the White Fox issue, which has now become a cascade effect of being into White Fox, the White Fox Infinity comics, being into Swordmaster, getting into Iron Fist. So it's one of those things where as time has gone on and I've decided to like take little peeks at something or like make sure I have a supplementary issue for a bigger event that I'm reading that's kind of a more standard Marvel thing. I find, especially in Infinity comics, a lot of stuff where I'm like, not only is this amazing supplemental material but it completely expands my understanding of whatever the thing is i was looking at and then like my broader view of the marvel universe and the characters that i want to get into i love that perspective on it and i feel like that's one of the reasons that marvel has begun their new initiative on these who is infinity comics and we're going to be taking a look today at who is america chavez number one an infinity comic released this past week written by alex segura with art by carlos gomez color art by brian valenza and letters by vc Clayton Cowles. Of course, one more time, give it up for Annie Chang and Tom Smith, always killing it on the production, getting this visual to be so clean and so crisp. And now when Marvel had initially tried to kind of get into the Infinity game again and tried to get themselves going, one of the big things they had initially pushed was what they called the Marvel Infinity Primers. Now we've covered a number of those. Nathan continues to cover them. They're a lot of fun, but crazy enough, some of them are already kind of outdated. The Marvel Universe stops for no one, just 
just for films. So with that in mind, this new wave of them, we're seeing one for Scarlet Witch, which we're going to cover next week. We have this amazing America Chavez story. And, you know, when you talk about people who have, uh, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Horrific back issue damage. There is so much work to be done to understand who the fuck these people are. I think Scarlet Witch and America Chavez are two really fascinating examples because, and especially when you read these stories, there is a real possibility for distilling the character down into something that is actually quite simple and manageable for a reader to understand. But if you keep even slightly behind the curtain, it is a black hole of Byzantine continuity that you may never escape. So these are pretty special as documents that can present you with a picture that can work from here on out. I agree completely because even in America's story, like right away, she's kind of like, LOL, let's start with how not exactly correct my canon is. <laughs> and let's go from there. <laughs> now, for those of you who have no great affection for my precious Ms. America, America Chavez first appeared in the pages of Vengeance back way, way back in 2011. Now, Vengeance is sort of an unusual miniseries in that without any sort of judgment on it, it doesn't matter. Like, Vengeance is one of those books that Marvel does every now and then where it's really about facilitating a great set of storytellers telling a great set of stories and... And that's sort of what we got here. It was written by Joe Casey, penciled by Nick Dragoda, with colors by Brad Simpsons, letters by Russ Wooten, and covers by Gabriel Delato. So, you know, of course, it already looks like it should be hanging in the Met, some really gorgeous images. But part of the complication that comes in with Vengeance is like everybody seems a little bit evil in it, even when they're not. And the book just had a really weird tone. You know, there's a pretty cool appearance from Angel and Beak in it, but I honestly think that the only significant thing that anyone ever remembers from Vengeance is that Magneto cover to number one, and that ultimately we got America Chavez out of. Did you have any relationship with Vengeance by Joe Casey before this moment in time? <laughs> Absolutely none. I do vaguely remember it, and I do remember a lot of people being like, you probably could skip this one. Yeah, and the problem is, like, I'm a big Nick Dragota guy. I mean, I'm a Joe Casey guy, and I'm a Nick Dragota guy, so it's it's tough because you always want to support these sort of boutique miniseries. You always want to see them succeed. Well, and I think 2011 was a very different time for, well, I mean, for me specifically, when I think about looking at boutique books, I was so kind of jaded about what was going on with the X-Men that getting into other stuff just kind of felt like I would be betraying them. So there's definitely a lot of things that if I heard about them now, I would be like, I'm not interested in that in terms of like what characters I follow, but it sounds really cool just to like collect and look at and like I like the writer or I like the art so I'm going to pick it up anyway. That was a time in which I think it was a lot more difficult to be into something like that. There was like another number of like big titles where it was just like oh look at this prestigious mini and I would see a reference to it somewhere but truly Vengeance is probably best remembered at this point for giving us America but I would point out that it doesn't even come up in this story. This amazing story which by the way some of the 
the best conceptual paneling on how to work in an Infinity comic without completely surrendering to the format here, right? That's one of the things I love about these, seeing the format change. I love, though, that this book doesn't bother with, oh, yeah, let's talk about vengeance and where she started. No, they're like, hey, let's be realistic. What do you need to know to work with this character? And I think it's interesting that they took her backstory and were like, you need to know that it's convoluted, but we don't need to super get into it. Yeah, and that's kind of the magic. She punches hard. That's that's about it. Yeah, it, it also makes portals, and she's real fast, and she's real smart, and uh, you know she can fly. And but you know it's not quite as important as she punches. And she's got a complicated backstory, sure. But what actually matters is that she is from a family of love, and I I really think that is a key element of who America is. It comes out throughout this whole thing over and over again. But something that also comes up through this whole thing over and over again that I am eager to get your take on, TK, is how do you feel about this return to the phrase demiurge and this kind of conjuring up like Billy's thing, knowing that America is going to be in Doctor Strange with Wanda. How do you feel about them conjuring this visual back together? I mean, it was really the first big thing that hit me in this was the demiurge reference and, you know, thinking about the fact that we're about to see America Chavez in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. If you asked me, completely disconnected from the movie or anything like that, is the whole Demiurge storyline, and especially like, is that reference really important to understanding America Chavez or anything that's coming up? My guess would be no. I would say that was a really cool story. I loved it a lot. My guess is it's probably not coming back. But in this context, in knowing that part of the reason it's important for people to get to know this character is that she's coming up in the MCU, which means all around her popularity is going to rise, which means in the comic book, she's going to start to take a certain kind of precedence and stories, which we know is also true about Billy. Yeah, I mean, it, it starts to feel like something really important and something worth paying attention to. One of the things that this book sought to do that I loved so much, book, listen to me, it was like, it's a two minute online story, but I got <laughs> so much out of it. I call it a book. That's so exciting. You know, add on value, making it worth it. I really appreciate what Marvel Unlimited is trying to do in a world where we don't have enough trees to keep printing comics. So maybe it's time to let go of some second print variants, right? So I think by putting her history in context, in order, in a way that we can read, in a way that makes sense, even if, for me, there is a sense of, you know, but I read this as it happened. This isn't how it happened. I'm much happier for Akevo, who my husband, you know, shows media production designer, who is an occasional contributor to this show and a regular contributor to our other shows. You know, he loves America and wants to jump in on this character before the film, but the continuity is too hard. She's got 140-something appearances. How are you going to fucking do that before the movie? But this puts it in order. TK, you said that initially to me when we talked about it, Green Room, it and I was like you know do you America and you were like kind of and you had said that one of your strongest places was Young Avengers I know that they left out most of her backstory in Young Avengers how do you feel about seeing what is an out of sequence 10 years sequenced together I mean I think it's what you have to do in this case it's the point of these is to acknowledge the fact that all of these characters do have enough background that needs to be distilled and organized in a way that a new reader or somebody who's interested can look at it and get it. And I think the other thing is for old readers and people
people that are just paying attention to the Marvel Universe, it signals to them, this is what we're doing. This is what we're, you're going to need to know. Like the, the fact that, you know, the utopian parallel stuff happened and then was retconned, that's important. Like pay attention to that. But we don't need to get into issue specifics. We don't necessarily need five page like flashback explanations of things. We're just telling you some of the facts that should you see them again, you will be like, oh yeah, I remember that that came up without sort of being like, now here is a history test for you to remember. And also all of the dates are out of place because this all happened by various writers writing it and rewriting. You know, you had such an incredible point the other day. And when we were talking about why a writer might not seek to explore that Electra and Mary both also share perhaps Wolverine, it's really interesting that here they're also kind of making decisions by zooming through this, just as you said, kind of also combining it with your last point, it's giving her a chance to explore those somewhere else. Yeah, we can take this basic information and go anywhere with it. There could be a book that could go into detail about this stuff and spin it out and make it as complicated as you would need a 12-issue series to get into. With something like this, a new reader is equipped to go into that, not feeling that same sense of frustration of like, I kind of gave up because I just felt like I didn't know anything about the character and I didn't want to go back and read 150 appearances, so I'm not going to finish. It gets daunting. You know, I'm thinking about how close we are to what is, as everybody on planet Earth knows, is going to be a religious experience for me. We're so fucking close to Love and Thunder at this point. (laughs) And, you know, I feel like even with that coming up, I'm so excited. I want to sit down and do a Jane reread. Oh my God. It's like 114 fucking issues. Well, I know, Nico, because I'm doing my first read of it right now because of you. Yeah, it's so... <laughs> it's a lot. It's so good. It's going to wind up being like four omnibus editions. It's it's a lot, but it's it's excellent and it's exquisite. But sometimes, god damn it, you just want to pick up one fucking perfect Jane issue. And here's the thing: all of that stuff is amazing. I'm really loving my read of it right now. I'm having a fantastic time with Thor, and I love Jane as Thor. But 98% of that stuff is not going to come to fruition in the movie in a way where you're like, it was necessary. For for me to have read all of that, to have the heightened experience that I'm having in this theater. Yes, because part of it is you do the complete read for the five moments because they can only really fit in so many moments. So you do that whole read hoping for those instances. You go into these things for those individual perfect panels, like everybody has taken that Assad Ribic panel and mm-hmm. has been comparing it. But there's a reason there's only so many stills you do that because it's not the whole movie. The whole movie can't be swipes of the comic (laughs) and telling us america chavez's story now can't be all swipes of previous issues it seems like she's a great example because i think we're going to get very little recognizable from the comics with her so something like this is giving movie people who want to have some idea who this character is just enough to be like okay like i see the similarities but not go looking for like well when are they going to do that thing that everybody says she's famous for in the comic and for comics fans, it's just a kind of reminder that like, you know, this is where we are now. This is how you're going to see new America Chavez stories starting going forward. 
And speaking of New America Chavez stories starting going forward, I do love the shorthand that takes us up through America Chavez made in the USA. I need to continue a really, you know, we were, I want to use the word hyper blessed enough to have Kalinda Vasquez, the creator of that miniseries on the show and, you know, getting to speak to a Latinx writer as a Latinx writer was, she has like all the coolest jobs. She's written for America. She's written for Star Trek. She is just the coolest woman. And she was on here and she talked about the responsibility of being, you know, one of the few Latinx female voices to work on America and just what pressures that that involved and that took. And it was so pivotal that we had her on following the reveal that America was not born in a utopia, but rather a utopian built lab. And the miniseries is so divisive. There's fans that are like, how could you take our one reality warping queer from us like that? Like, how could you take her from us like that? She was from another dimension where everyone was happy and queer. And the other side of it is it makes her such an unaccessible character. Mm-hmm. And it makes her so hateful of this world. Mm-hmm. And the coolest fucking thing about America Chavez is that every time she uses her powers, it looks like sunset in fucking Wilton Matters. Like you're on your way to the goddamn bar in a pair of short shorts. Like it's bear week. Okay. And that is how I feel when I look at that panel of I had a sister, Carolina. Carolina helped me in her own manner. Uh, you know, she, ugh, this mini series had a really profound impact on me. And so I am super forgiving of any issues people people have with it because I loved the follow-up story that we got featuring my boy Amadeus Cho. I love this update. There is nothing that upsets me about America Chavez is not truly from a utopian parallel. I only think it enhances the character in a way that queer audiences deserve. And I would love to get your take on it, TK, as somebody who maybe isn't way too close to the glass to see. I mean, me being me, I can personally find a lot of accessibility in a character from a queer utopia just punching star-shaped holes into our world and coming in and hanging out. Like, for me, that's totally accessible. I fully get why it's not for other people. It's the same thing as like, I have my very personal ideas about what the Phoenix means, who it's for, who can use it, who should be an avatar of the Phoenix. And they're like, for instance, really different from my partner, Jake's. And I don't think either of us is right. They make a fantastic case every time they talk about who they think the Phoenix belongs to. But I think I make a fantastic case for who I think the Phoenix belongs to, too. So, you know, in a case like this, sometimes it really does come down to the utilitarian thing. What's going to work the best for the most readers, what's going to make things accessible to future writers, what's going to give this character the best chance to flourish. And I think sometimes we diehard comic book fans, we continuity like hawks, Canonistas. Canonistas, exactly. We think that those pieces of background are incredibly important to who the character is. And if we lose those, we have lost a piece of the character. I think sometimes we are being overdramatic when we say that, and we are not giving the characters themselves and the writers enough credit for being able to find the heart of that character without necessarily that background. This is obviously a moving target. Not everybody gets it right. Some characters, their background is really important 
important. They cannot be divorced from it, and they should not be for a lot of reasons. But it's a negotiable thing. And this is not a character that I am close enough with to feel really strongly about that utopian parallel queer paradise background being necessary. It is the one I'm most familiar with, the one that I recognize, and I really loved it. But if this means that a really strong, powerful Latinx woman is going to be in Marvel Comics, is going to be seen by people for whom she will mean a lot, and she'll be more accessible to them, I'm here for it. That was really said beautifully. And, you know, again, as a Latinx man, thank you. Because the thing that I think perhaps America suffers from is the reason a lot of sitcom reboots have not been working out the same way. What was funny at that point is not necessarily still how we define funny. And now some of it just seems really fucking mean. And... (laughs) One of the things that we need to consider in that regard then is what does and doesn't age with grace. And something that I don't believe aged with grace was big media's attempt to create, uh, well, they're saying Latinx now. So Latinx, she's a Latinx. A, a what? She's a Latinx. A, but from where? Latinxina? I don't know. You said Latinx was fine. Yeah. As a banner, <laughs> not as an identifier, right? So we had, like Disney princesses who were vaguely Latina, but from no Latin land. And we had America Chavez, who wasn't from our world. So how is she a Latina? And that's the sort of thing we wound up in for a really long time. These half measures that never really connected with identity. You know, you did, you managed to convince me actually listening to you for the first time ever. Um, I think I get why people were mad. <laughs> you managed, because you said what, you can't make this character work without stripping that backstory and getting to the emotional heart of the character and I was like what you can't make the character work and connect to a different experience oh no oh no I get it now so this has been a really enlightening conversation and I want to remind everybody that this is like a six page free scroll em up <laughs> and that's the sort of thing that I think these infinity comics are doing and like I feel like I could now ask you to read the next America Chavez story when it comes out. Oh, and I probably will at this point. And if we can, for just one second, we've been talking a lot about some characters on the show lately that have a cool factor. And the thing about that cool factor is what's making it work is not the same thing as I'm always feeling gets pushed by Wolverine having a no-holds-bar, I-don't-care attitude. Um, Yeah, he's Wolverine. You know, cool guys don't look back at explosions. When Wolverine doesn't look back at an explosion now, it seems kind of callous. But like America, Elektra, these characters are being utilized in ways that are very different. I don't think they play the same. I don't think they read the same. I don't think they watch the same. But they express a cool that is endemic to letting a character evolve on its own. And I think letting great writers put them in great stories and giving them time to let them develop in kind of an ecosystem. I mean, Elektra is the great example because she has just been evolving both really quickly but really organically in the Zadarsky run and how that has led to a bunch of other interesting stories attached to her and how it's going forward. And then, you know, tying that to the Netflix Daredevil series and who we've been seeing playing her lately, it's there's just been a lot of good electric content that has been built methodically over time, not with this like, we have to make the next cool sellable character, but 
this is a recognizable person that deserves some time on page to to have a story told. You know, but speaking of Wolverine in that regard, I think that's where Laura has the cool factor. And yes. Akahiro has the yep. cool factor. But Akahiro started as Wolverine without the cool factor and developed it. He learned how to be cool, probably from watching Honey Badger. I'm just really excited to see what happens next. I'm psyched for Multiverse of Madness in a couple weeks. I want to say I really loved West Coast Avengers. It was such a great story for her. That's if anybody's reading this and it's like, what's something that I could like pick up and enjoy America Chavez without too like getting too much into backstory? West Coast Avengers. It's a quick, really funny read, um, and it does not tie too much into any of this, but gives you some great America Chavez moments. Well, I know that I have been on the America train because of Joe and Nick way back in the day. So I'm excited to keep seeing this character evolve too. It's been thrilling. I mean, I literally went out and bought the first build set that had her in it. Uh, You know, I'm a huge Lego collector. And the day that they finally released an America Chavez figure, my husband and I went out at seven in the morning and he stood with me at Walmart and I, I rung up my America figure. I was so excited. Excited. It, you know, she has meant so much to me for a decade. I think that the exciting thing about America Chavez for me was never the utopian alternate universe backstory, but rather the possibility of what a character with that much unbridled potential and that kind of heart could do. She's always been a little gruff. She's always been a little angrier than is attractive, but it's because she wants the best for the world and she never had to think much. Every Everything comes really easy to America. And that's hard for her because when everything comes easy, you don't learn to work the same way other people do. And America had to learn to work in front of us. She put in this incredible transformation and, you know, her powers have ebbed and flowed and she's been a part of this team or that team. But the core of who America is, is still there. She represents an unbridled, undying spirit that just wants to be part of whatever's next and better. And that's just the side of the motto I live my life by. So be brave and evolve daily. So, you know, I just can't wait to see where this phenomenal character goes. But speaking of phenomenal characters, we have a double header coming your way featuring Moon Knight and Strange. Now, I'll be honest, I think at some point I was like, Moon Knight is a title that is gonna constantly be being restarted. I don't know that I really have a strong connection with it, but, you know, I'll see where each run goes. And I've enjoyed the Jed McKay run very much from the storytelling to the visuals. It's been a great book. Now, I know it's a big time for Moon Knight in the MCU, what with the most beautiful man in the universe playing him on television. Oh my God, he's so illogically talented and beautiful. How are you feeling about this sort of like consciousness that we've been consuming? I'm so sorry. Oh God. It's such an interesting time with all these Disney Plus shows because I'm just the whole time whenever I'm watching anything, I'm already somehow shifting forward in time to looking like seeing how far we come with these characters and where they end up and thinking I can't believe this all started with just like one honestly like it's not bad but pretty low key six episode miniseries like not a ton happening every episode not like a big superhero story just and we're and we're almost done with it but it's really really cool it's creating this character who I'm like you know knowing who else is coming are we about to do Midnight Suns you know because of this Thor run that you're making me do I just read Original Sin and like Punisher and Moon Knight together is just such a fantastic combo that I think would work amazing 
amazingly well on screen. Like, oh my god, I love original sin. <laughs> yeah, I know you do. But so you know, like, I don't know what's coming next for Punisher or for Moon Knight, but this is the start of all of it, and I am really enjoying it. I like how low key it is because it gives us somewhere to build from. I think if you start too bombastically, there's nowhere to go from there. So this is a really interesting start, and I'm fascinated to see what's going to develop here. And developing from there is going to be Strange Number Two, featuring most of the same team, and again, Jed McKay. So it's like a Jed McKay double feature, and part of why I held them together is because they keep referencing each other back and forth in these segments. Like, they're the same people in the segments, but like, because they recorded both Moon Knight and Strange, they keep kind of talking back and forth about the books, and it just felt right to have them come together to paint a really holistic picture of a reaction that a group of people have to one writer's collective works. Are you reading Strange? I am, yeah. How do you feel about Clea's turn as Sorceress Supreme? I'm excited about it. I think it's it makes a lot of sense. I like how strongly different a personality she is from Doctor Strange and how this book is pretty, I think, clear about the fact that this is a temporary thing. She is doing this job because the man that she loved entrusted it to her, but this is for her not the life that she was meant to lead. We are getting one story about a thing that happened that is going on to the next thing. And I sometimes love when books restart and give us that and tell us, you know, like, don't worry, we're not telling you this is going to be, you know, an 18 to 24 issue ongoing. And then, you know, we get canceled after 12 issues. This one is very clearly setting up like this isn't forever, but while you're on this ride, it's going to be a great story with a great lead character who increasingly the more we need to see more women in the marvel universe and strong women and like varied types of women it makes a ton of sense to see this sorcerer supreme it's like the way i want to see Ilyana be more sorcerer supreme i'm really enjoying it i can't wait to see more of these super cool women coming out of marvel plus akihiro so <laughs> until then tk where can everybody find you online you can find me on twitter and instagram at xnate x gray x you can also find us, soon enough, releasing our exciting MC2 project where we have been taking a look at the Marvel Comics 2 universe from like 1998 and it's a, it's been a thing. Doozy. You can also find me over on The Billy Club where I talk Daredevil with Tori Sheehan or on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. My original work is coming out in June in the amazing Young Men in Love Pride anthology, so you definitely want to check that title out when it drops. As always, we love making this show for you Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, whatever content ships to fit. Enjoy these last two segments. We'll see you next time. And until then, keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open. Remember, Infinity Comics are comics too, and we're gonna die on this hill. <laughs> and we'll see ya. Bye. Hey everybody, welcome to another exciting segment of the podcast where we talk about mutants, magic, and Marvel. Week after week, I'm Nathan. You can find me online at DazzlerAOA on Twitter and Instagram. That's like Dazzler in the Age of Apocalypse. And that makes me Raven, a.k.a. Dame Red Thread. Come over and find me on Twitter and Instagram. Like, strike up a conversation. I've got tons of things to say. And this is Juan True. You can find me on Twitter at Lost in Krakoa.
And hello, it's me. You can, I, my name is Steve. You can find me on Twitter at HowdyDuda. That's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. And we hope you survived the experience unlike the wax man, maybe? Like, uh, he will survive the experience, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> At least not mentally. <laughs> we're here to talk about the amazing Moon Knight series, and we're on issue 10 right now. So Moon Knight 10 is brought to us by the amazing team of Jed McKay as our writer, Alessandro Capuccio as our artist, Rochelle Rosenberg as our color artist, and VCs Corey Petit as our letterer. Y'all, this team, oh my god. I never expected, outside of X-Men, to have Jed McKay as, like, writer that I consistently look forward to his titles on. But here I am, and I'm like, okay, cool, give me everything by Jed McKay. Like, the art team here is just beautiful. Puccio is amazing with his lines. Rochelle Rosenberg is phenomenal, again, with the colors. And Rochelle Rosenberg, like, if you've ever looked her up, like, she is, like, a bodybuilder. Like, it's amazing. I would not have known that like strong lady uh, very strong lady and obviously Corey Petit is one of the best letterers in the business so like this team together is just stunning 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 where are you at with the whole Moon Knight creative team so I hope that it's different from the moon in that it never changes (laughs) I'm with Wancho on this one and I love the team that works on this book so much it's layers and layers of gorgeousness between the art and the story and the lettering it's just oh i look forward to this more than like it's in my top five and like my top five are all ties so yeah honestly i will definitely read whatever capuccio does next and if capuccio and rosenberg continue to work together as a team i think that they can continue to put out like top tier books so with this issue you know we finally get the confrontation between rutherford winner and moon knight which you know it's been built up for several issues and we're like, oh, hey, this is going to be like a huge drag out fight. But it wasn't even the main point of the issue. Rutherford Winter, really, his whole purpose is to let Moon Knight know your therapist has been replaced. <laughs> yeah, he's he's not even like here for revenge against an old enemy or anything like that. He's literally just here to be like, what did you do with my therapist? I need her to get better. <laughs> right? Like, that was the plot twist. I was really, what? I love how this series revolves around therapy. Like, not yes. only the therapy sessions at the beginning of every issue. Like, Andrew Sturman is an important character as a therapist, but also, like, her absence is acute, and it is acutely felt by not only Moon Knight, but Rutherford Winter, and presumably other patients. It's great how that is a dynamic and all-encompassing aspect of this series, without leaning, again, into, like, extremely negative mental illness tropes about, like, mentally ill people being violent, dangerous lunatics or monsters. I love that winner here is given so much agency and especially like i honestly think that like moon knight knows that sturman is actually the wax man throughout this encounter but when i was first reading this i felt like the moment where he first really figures it out is when she like is displaying just so much dispassion and cruelty towards the idea of rutherford winner by discrediting him immediately and being like you shouldn't listen to that guy he's crazy and dangerous and it's like who do you think you're fucking talking to (laughs) like 
Moon Knight is yeah. obviously going to be like, hey, uh, excuse me? Like, not only are you supposed to be a good therapist, but also you're talking to me. Like, this is explicitly my my concern. Yeah, and it was so amazing that it revolves around people wanting to get better and people wanting to get help. And instead of having like the, I've fallen in love with my therapist, there's my one true, and you know, that being the reason for the revenge or the, for the pursuit or for the push on the plot. Instead, it's the, I need my therapist because I want to get better. And without my therapist, I will continue to get worse. So no, I'm like, I love that it didn't revolve around violence out of passion, but violence out of need to rectify the situation and not having a better coping mechanism i love that yeah no it is really amazing to see how we've let characters evolve in their motivations if this was written in the 70s obviously he would have either been just madly in love with a psychiatrist or he'd just been crazy and you know have no real reasoning for attacking moon knight but this we've got a real nuanced reason that you know while flawed he did do his point he's trying to find out what happened to his doctor Therapy is important. I love how this series is using it as a serious tool and not a comedic joke as sometimes yeah. comics has portrayed people going to therapy. And it's not like an easy shortcut for horror yeah. or anything like that. Also, and- Andrew Sherman is so beautiful. She's an incredibly beautiful woman in this series. And yeah. this is an extremely low bar, so I shouldn't even really be heeping praise. But I do want to say, like, I am grateful to Jed McKay for not trying to make any kind of romantic subplot between Mark and Andrea in the series because it's like every x-men comic or whole comic i've ever read where somebody goes to therapy there's always like some kind of sexual tension or weird inappropriate dynamics and power relationships which i often speaks more to the writers or to the culture at the time it is such an incredibly low bar but i am also happy that like mark and andrea have a strictly professional and sometimes friendly relationship it's so good the reveal where Andrea like turns very mad around like the middle of the issue and that like looks into sharp contrast between what you said it's like an easy giveaway right yeah absolutely and she starts like trying to gaslight him and saying like oh you're having an episode you're having a psychotic break like I, mark at this yeah. point has been through too much th- therapy to be <laughs> tricked by that kind of shit <laughs> <laughs> i, I kind of liked the fact that like once winner pointed out that no this hasn't been your therapist for a while now like that made me go back and actually look at other issues and notice just small changes from like the very beginning of mood night to like a couple like issues deeper in like around like five or six i want to say so like there are just there are small changes that i'm now going was she replaced before this issue like was he holding down you know the fort as it were better in other issues but now he's just you know getting impatient and just you know antsy and so now he's he's tripping up more and that's why he's just been like very dispassionate talking about things in kind of these non-psychology terms that kind of is like the two by four to mark's face going hello motherfucker this is not your therapist because no therapist would talk like that i think she was replaced after the zodiac, been, fight. the zodiac fight so i think it was when he was in jail during the one shot so it would have been the last two issues of moon Knight before this one would have been not her so yeah i also like that this issue makes callbacks to mark being in prison and to stuff happening without him like being able to know because he was in there it doesn't get tied down in a crossover that interrupted the story the way that the series like integrated the crossover without at all derailing the plot is i think like really impressive and gave us that beautiful piece on hunter's 
Moon. Yeah, and it continues to matter to this series, but not in a way that makes it like I I don't feel like I'm like oh, another King in Black. It's it's not even an uh, it's another Devil's Reign. It's just that like it has lasting consequences that feel like they were planned from the start, even though they likely weren't. They weave across each other really really well, and it feels like it was planned instead of a maybe we have to get this and oh crap now we have to tie it into this and did it even if you didn't get to read all of the books you don't feel absolutely lost but they also give you the threads that you need to go back and find those other books so you can have even more lore the reveal of andrea being the wax man the first page you see her like melting and her head is still Andrea and then you see the wax man body start to form and then fully into this like beautiful clay wax being here like the art on that is like probably some of the best body horror art I've seen recently in Marvel and we've seen a lot of great body horror art coming out of Marvel <laughs> that splash page with wax man reaching out for Moon Knight while the lamp gets knocked over in the corner between the color interplay from that lamp streak upward across the page and the incredible line work and shading that's got to be my favorite panel in this whole issue besides the hurt you beyond all comprehension one <laughs> another favorite yeah this continues that like streak of really really deep pulls from all continuity because waxman it's just appeared seven times before and including this one and including the previous issue as well is waxman like a moon knight villain or like another doctor strange <laughs> person or I was checking out the weekend. It says Spider Woman and Superior Ooh. Spider Man. So yeah, not really a Moon Knight. Doctor Otto like froze him with nitrogen. It's kind of cool that he can just be defeated by freezing repeatedly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he like he said, he can't actually die because he doesn't need to eat. He doesn't need to breathe. You know, nothing like that. So freezing him, you know, neutralizes him. It captures him, but it doesn't kill him, which makes what Moon Knight does to him horrifying. Yeah, it's really fucked up because I mean what Moon Knight did was I mean Waxman was trying to hurt Mark by impersonating a therapist and how does Mark hurt him back when he can't feel pain or he doesn't like need physical needs by hurting his mind as much as he yeah. can and which is like, like Mark's go-to move at this point yeah it, it wasn't just that he was hurting the therapist. It was that he was helping Zodiac. And Zodiac has been trying to destroy Mark and send him to the darkest reaches of his potential. I thought the main reason that he gives him execution by gentrification, as he says, <laughs> I he's a serial killer of women. Like, Mark finds out that he's been suffocating women, and apparently this is like a thing he does. He is a serial killer preying on women, and he does it for fun. So I felt like that was Mark's like, yeah, this guy's going away. Is it yeah. bad that my brain for like a hot second forgot that fact? Like, no, I, I, I was I was so disturbed by that. Honestly, my brain just went, "Oh no, we're just gonna have to forget this for a few minutes." Like, oh shit, oh oh god. Like now I'm really conflicted. Like I still feel bad, but oh, that is justified. Yeah, yep. he's said three three dead women suffocated when I was in jail, and then Waxman just says, "I couldn't help myself. I like what I like." Oh, oh, that's fine. Up. Hard for me to not feel like Waxman deserves it here. I have been a big proponent of getting Sabretooth out because Krakoa says they won't build prisons, but Mark isn't a state. Mark doesn't have that kind of power. He's not building prisons here. He's literally just being like, this is vengeance, and I'm into it. And and that's like what Mark is, right? Yes. He's, he's the moon's vengeance. The vengeance of the moon. Yeah. He is not Sailor Moon. He's Moon Knight. With that execution by gentrification, how do we feel about Mark's 
decision of the allies to surround himself with there and his decision not to include Reese on that. Do we think that that will cause a rift in the future? With Tigra, especially being there, because Tigra's reporting back and this won't sit well with Black Panther and the rest of the Avengers. There's going to be a reckoning somehow down the line and especially because we know that Mark says at the end there's going to be blood tonight. So Mark's ready, like really ready to kill now and it's going to come knocking down at his door later. It's crazy because it's like, this is like an extreme torture imprisonment and it's not like dissimilar from like what they did with like like Thor being buried in the moons, you know, in space. Obviously that was a short term thing, but I feel like this is going to rub the Avengers extremely wrong and I don't know if Tiger will keep the secret to herself. Yeah. I can absolutely understand why he left Reese out of this. She's she may be a vampire, but she's an eighteen year old kid, and yeah, she's nice. Yeah, she still has all of her humanity. It has not been stripped out of her. Mark, on the other hand, is a violent individual and has been from the start. That is part of who he is. But even he recognizes what I need to do would damage this child beyond repair, and we cannot do that like she can be mad at me later it can cost me that friendship or that relationship later but right now we got to do what we got to do but she cannot be a part of it because i couldn't handle the guilt of damaging another person like that so yeah he surrounded himself with people he trusted and uh people that he knew would be able to do what needs to be done already knowing what the consequences later on would be i gotta wonder like i know that he would never treat tiger this way they are old friends in fact no matter how unstable mark might seem or how dangerous he might seem he does have like principles of conscience and friends those are real things to him he's not acting in a deranged way by doing this he thought about this this was a serial killer who he believed deserved worse but it is going to be interesting given that like right in front of tigra the, the last thing he says to waxman is it hurts being lied to doesn't it see you in hell and like when he finds out that tigra has to be reporting back to the avengers i it's, oh. it's going to be it's going to be painful for him poor mark <laughs> I feel so bad. Like the one connection he has to his previous life is Tigra and he's going to eventually find out that it's, all a sham and that his past is just gone and i'm afraid of how that's going to affect him in this already like awful fragile state that he's in and i think it's going to push him over the edge to finally become not even trying to be heroic anymore if he ever finds out i'm not worried for tiger's safety but i am very much worried for his mental health because i think he will snap and just go way far off the deep end and it could end very very poorly yeah one thing i do love about the series is the use of the moon throughout the whole series we only get the moon once in this issue that i saw and it is right after he buries the waxman and you know it's that crescent moon of his symbol looks like horns yeah it looks like horns it's been cool to see how the moon has been depicted as you know i don't know if it's a cause of his difference in his moods or if it's in response to the differences in his moods. So. I, I feel like Mark would be like, how dare you accuse me of being a lunatic? <laughs> he would just be like, no, it's, it has nothing to do with the moon, damn it. I just like the moon. <laughs> I'm a moon guy. All right. Yes, Father, I will become the moon. I believe that's also a harvest moon. 
because it's a, ah. a moon that rep or looks like or represents a sickle and it's basically okay time to fucking cut the fields down <laughs> time for the harvest reaping of what was sown mm-hmm. yeah that's, that's what waxman happened mm-hmm. to him right mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> yeah he absolutely He's reaped what he sowed <laughs> You can't do this to me. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you you don't know who you fucked with, do you? I mean, otherwise he would have just ended up in jail with the big crescent on his forehead. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How do you make a crescent stay in wax? You know, <laughs> we need to make wax man into some baby bells or something. You know, give back <laughs> restorative justice. Rehabilitate you into some baby bells. <laughs> this was a little bit of a tone shift from the last two issues where we had seen, you know, Moon Knight face much larger larger concepts brought it back to earth a little where moon knight has to face you know more of a grotesque but street level kind of villain setting moon knight back on the path to confronting the zodiac in the end so how do we feel about the nice little trip we took for the last few issues with these grandiose designs and visions and this kind of step back into more of the street level conflicts i like that much like the moon things change we don't just stay on one type of journey it's not just about higher concepts or religion belief and faith it's also about just street level consequences street level crimes moon knight isn't just about one thing it's about all the different things yeah i would agree this has been one of my favorite series in recent times i can't believe we've been doing this for 10 months hey happy 10 months everybody yeah talk about moon knight as a team for 10 months oh my goodness think just two more issues and we have an anniversary Yay. yeah i wonder what the anniversary issue is going to look like for the series because i very used to comics doing something big with their 12th issue and we, we're leading directly up to a confrontation yeah. with zodiac again and i can only imagine that that conflagration is going to take over the entire 11th and maybe 12th 12 issues together this is a series that you get a lot of marvel rebooting series after issue like 12 i hope this is a series that keeps going on for an indefinite amount of time with the current team speaking of that uh, so i'm reading the solicits right i'm not but so there's no moon knight 13 solicited just yet oh no so right that, that is three months ahead so we it may be a late solicit hopefully it's not ending with 12 it could end with 12 could. and i can see this story wrapping itself up but given what jed mckay has talked about on twitter a little bit about like working in more of his alter identities i kind of feel like it's going to have to continue past that point if there wants to be any justice like just from a cross like for marketing purposes how are you going to end your series when the character is like at its most well known they did have you know scarlet witch show and wanda they did have wandavision and wanda wasn't really showing up anywhere in the comics she was about to have a trial so yeah i think that moon knight i think this is a wildly popular series among moon knight readers which obviously does not include a lot of people but it has become one of my favorite series as as a new reader and they have a moon knight show on right now we're also getting another moon knight series at the same time we're getting a Moon Knight, Red, White, and Blood. Yeah, we're getting Red, White, and Blood. Yeah. Oh. But it's, that's two issues. And it's going to have like it's gonna have a lot of creators like Hickman that's going to do a story. Oh, and, yeah, that's, yeah. I think 12 is going to be like the, the perfect number for uh, the first arc of this ongoing storyline. Uh, just for reference, the past two Moon Knight books ended, I mean, the one with Jeff Lemire was, I think, just 18 issues or 14 issues. I mean, Moon Knight's like this sort of 12-issue maxi-series kind of character lately. So, but I hope yeah. 
not. I hope it continues. I want to point out how absolutely insane it was that Immortal Hulk and Avengers have had 50 issues because that has not happened at Marvel in so in long. So long. I am seeing something right now, and I don't know if it's true on Amazon, saying that there are 12 issues in Moon Knight 2021. So hopefully, hopefully it gets another reboot. Remember, Jed McKay did do a Black Cat series that ended with I think issue like 12, and then continued on uh, the same stories yeah. in, a, in a second series later that year. I would prefer that to not happen, but I I don't want the Moon Knight story to end with 12. Yeah, what's making me a bit nervous is that the Red, White, and Blood is solicited for July, and Moon Knight 12 is uh, is in June, and it's not solicited. So, well, here's hoping, right? You know, what would be nice is if we get 12 issues of Moon Knight, and then we get Moon Knight Red, Black, and Blood, or whatever, and then we get 12 issues of Hunter's Moon. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I mean, mm. that, that could be, yeah, like a surprise reveal later. I would love that. Okay. So I'd be okay but, with that. I would be okay with that. I'm just going to tell myself that's what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> I will believe that with you. If this does end in issue 12, I'm going to miss this cast and crew and this... I'm going to miss seeing Tiger show up in, in appearances and stuff. And stuff. <laughs> Even though I don't really love the role that she's playing right now. Uh, but, you know, I, hey, I get it. I like that they're playing her far more complex than they have in the past. And, you know, we need to learn more about Hunter's Moon. I need to see... Reese needs to keep going on. Like, give Reese a series. Like, Reese and Hunter's Moon. I would love that. Like, that the one issue when they were talking together, it was, it was golden. I love that. What can we possibly hope for for the confrontation between Zodiac and Moon Knight? Maybe some clarification on what actually it means for him to break Mark. Yeah, rather we, than just kind of saying it over and over. Cause, yeah, because you can break people in many different ways. What specific, what attracts a Zodiac to break Moon Knight specifically? I think that's probably the biggest thing I would like to see. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I'm with you, Wancho. I want to know, why is he so driven towards Mark specifically that he wants to break him? Yeah, like- I do want to see, what's this fixation? What's this fixation with Mark? I do think that, like, his stated goals of breaking Mark and making him, like, the wild dog again and carve moons on people's faces, I think that he's doing it. I mean, like, Mark is doing ever more violent and unhinged things. This is not an irrational thing that Mark is doing here. It is a coldly calculated, thought-out plan, but I do think think that he's doing things much more violently and much more cruelly than before uh at least since Kanchu got fucked up and i i don't know maybe maybe this is exactly the kind of thing that zodiac has wanted all along maybe he's winning yeah that's the thing is he's not unhinged that's that's the terrifying part if he was just unhinged you'd be able to kind of dismiss at least some of it or forgive some of it he's not unhinged he is quite literally becoming colder and crueler and and more calculated in his violence that should be terrifying to anyone yes it really should be it really should because it's unhinged person is terrifying but a person who is willing to go to whatever deep dark depths they need to in a calculated manner that is horrific yeah Yeah. batman doesn't do this no (laughs) he's an anti-batman I really enjoy the series. I love how how it makes you think on so many different levels. And I just, I want to see it keep going because I want to keep exploring this kind of more cerebral storyline. Yeah, I want to keep reading good comics. Yeah. This is not even a criticism of this issue, but I, I just want to bring it up because Marvel does this all the time. But their, their ad placement is terrible in these physical oh comics. Like, I, I read this in physical and I got to the darkest part of the entire <laughs> issue, which is the part where Mark starts pouring 
pouring cement on Waxman, even though he's told him what happens. And the next page flip, which I was like, I was on the edge of my seat to read, was this bright, colorful Captain America ad. <laughs> Two-page spread. It looks beautiful. Arby Silva, I love him. But like, yeah, that's not what I wanted. And I, like, I flipped back in. I was like, I'm so frustrated right now. <laughs> I just, I, I feel like I just got like, just kicked in the nuts right as I was about to, you know, like, geez, splurp and then bam. Yeah, it's like, dude, like, they could have put that at the, like, literally, and the end was two pages later. Move that to the very end, please. Let me have my emotional moment. Good lord. It was like cutting to commercial right at the, <laughs> like, like, right at the climax of, like, a good wrestling match. Like, this is about to pit him, and then you pit him in picture picture. He's, he's coming from the top ropes. Commercial. Hey, do you want some, like, no! No! Oh, he's going! Like Angel, nobody out pizzas the hut. <laughs> oh my god, I am there with That's you. Awful. Awful. <laughs> awful. I hate it. Trust me, I will always go through every single page of the physical and read all the way to the end and look through all your advertisements. Just kind of like put them at the end or at least put them at better scene breaks, please. This is not a criticism of this comic. I just yeah. like Marvel's ad placement in the physical issues sometimes is just like whack. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And I like having the physical comic. That's the whole thing. It's like, I, lo- I love reading digital. There's absolutely no knock. I love reading digital, but I love having a physical copy. But yeah, those sometimes those ad breaks just take me out of a storyline. So yeah, don't make me glue certain pages shut, sir. Hey everybody, welcome to another exciting segment of Extra Podcast, where we talk about mutants, magic, and Marvel week after week. I'm Nathan, you can find me online at Dazzler AOA. That's Dazzler, like in the Age of Apocalypse. Hello, it's me, Steve, and you can find me on Twitter at HowdyDuda, that's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. I'm Kyle, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82, that's D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. And that would make me Raven, a.k.a. Dame Red Thread. You can find me over on Twitter and Instagram occasionally. I hope you survive this experience, unlike, well, let's see, Thunderstrike the Third or The Dark Market. I'm just saying. A lot of death and destruction in this issue. Yes, Yes, there was. Uh, And I guess that means if we're talking about Thunderstrike coming back and being dead an issue again later, we're talking about Strange Number 2. Strange Number 2 was brought to us by the amazing Jed McKay. Penciler is Marcelo Ferreira. Don Ho is our inker. And Java Tartaglia is our colorist. And VC's Corey Petit is our letterer. So let's talk about where we are with the series so far. We're on the second issue, right? So, you know, we covered the first one. It's a great intro. The second issue, there's... Some things I love about the series, and there's some things that I'm having trouble trying to figure out how I want to put it, but there's some some things I don't love about the series, and unfortunately, it's a little bit more about, I think, how the visuals fit in the story. Jed's telling an amazing story here. I'm really digging what he's doing on this, but I don't necessarily feel the visuals are matching the tone and maybe the fantastical feel of the story itself. I absolutely agree. I'm so there with you. Like the second page in where we're seeing the conflict between Clea, Harvestman, and 
and Thunderstrike. I'm not digging it, especially with the giganto boob bad anatomy thing going on. I'm upset, sort of, to find myself not like immediately enjoying another Jed McKay series like I have been. Like, I do really like the story. I think it's like very emotional and it has like a clear direction, in my opinion. But like, yeah, I don't know. The Harvestman does not have much of a character. For me, I think that the inks stand out as a thing I don't really appreciate about this book. The inks and the colors. just It doesn't seem to have like the magical oomph that a lot of strange or mystical Marvel series do. It looks very mundane and sort of like just grounded in reality in a way that I guess I wasn't expecting from a series titled Strange. The inks have been really inconsistent, I think, especially between the first and last issue, although I I think this issue is an improvement. I'll definitely agree with you on, on that. But yeah, I'm with you. It's like, it just doesn't pop. And like, the story is great. The plot is great. But I'm feeling a major disconnect between the art and the story and kind of how how a magical or mystical interaction would kind of feel. This just feels like we put some LEDs on somebody's wrist and now we're doing the Hollywood rain going on. It's just like, eh? Yeah, I mean, there's some spell work in this that is a little bit more interesting. Like we see the Crimson Bands and the Storm of Swords and whatnot. It's just, it feels very much like a lot of the same like pink laser beams that we see over in the MCU that have kind of like toned down the the spell work nature of mysticism to just like shooting light beams at each other and i don't know i laser floyd are elements of the series that I think are really inspired visually, like Thunderstrike's holes matching his like medallions, and I really like this like almost like Bill Sienkiewicz style eye that Clea has when she's casting the Crimson Bands of Ciderac. But overall, I just feel like this art style is maybe not for me. Agreed. Yeah, I have to agree. Like you've all said, the the story is great, but the art I am struggling with it. I'm getting a little confused with the layout of panels, and I get that it's raining but it kind of makes it difficult to understand what's happening because there's just so much stuff on the page it kind of muddles my eyes a bit yeah no i I get that it is it's very busy in every panel not only because of the rain but rubble and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. i think the color is kind of uniformly washed out or gray or it's it's often like one color most of the time and i feel like it becomes a little difficult to kind of parse some of these scenes mm. i was heavily critical of the way wong's nose was inked in the last issue and i think there's been same. a massive improvement in that yeah, it seems to have settled into one shape even if it's not the same like very broad shape that we got in the last issue but it is throughout this issue at least he looks like one person <laughs> he doesn't look like the wong from last issue but he does look like <laughs> <laughs> the characters held shape a lot better their structure their facial structure was a lot more consistent Mm -hmm. i mean i'll i'll take it at this point because at least that's not one more thing pulling us out. Yeah, mm-hmm. a heavy improvement, I think. I am not in love with Clea's design as a faultine. I don't know what it is. It just is. It just seems boring to me. Like it's it's very flat. Yeah, there's there's something that doesn't stand out. Well, because I mean, it's a flaming flame. It's a flame, but it's a flame with very little definition. Like it doesn't do much. It's like a bob cut, but you know. Yeah, well, between that and the the mostly unadorned Sorcerer Supreme costume, unlike yeah. Strangers, which is often like extremely busy and full of like charms and stuff, but yeah. Mm-hmm. 
it just kind of blends in with the colors of the background in this issue. There's really not a lot of separation between the teals of this thunderstorm and the bluish white of her hair. Yeah, so, there's, yeah. there's a lot of white in the background of all the magic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's got pieces, and the pieces are are constructed well. It's just, I I think for me, it's just not what I was looking for. A lot of the individual pieces do like come together, or, like and, and they're well done. It's just when I think of a strange story, I don't think of the pale tones of being in a thunderstorm. I yeah. think of like likewise, of, I really like the yeah. harvestman's design, but like the pale bandages yeah. don't really yeah. do anything for me. Yeah. yeah, no, agree. Put a shock of purple or a shock of blue into to some of that, you know, outline of the flame-styled hair. Something that connects us back to Clea's rather pink and purple styled, you know, laser beams that she shoots, like, have consistency kind of throughout when it comes to outlining a character. Like, especially a magical character who's casting magical spells with their magical form. It's very showing and telling of her personality that she acknowledges that she fought with Thunderstrike in the past but she's kind of like okay dude <laughs> like whatever you're dead it's very telling of her character her thought process during this how did y'all feel about what Clea's thought process was behind the battle that she was fighting her actions kind of felt a little odd the way that she was trying to speak to him even though she had already been told that he wasn't really there seeing the way that he was acting and her not really computing what that might mean it was just odd the fight sequence takes up the vast majority of this issue but i feel like there's not like really a lot going on there's a lot of like large spreads of action and then there's some explanation from the harvest man of like what is going on and who he is and then Clea's just like oh okay then i need to focus on you and we need to fight this thing together and get it out of the way so i can figure out again how to resurrect steven strange and it, it just doesn't feel like it this fight really moved anything forward i was far more interested when they got back with one at the end and start talking about the black market part of the plot but the fight scene just felt kind of just there to me it was really nice to see Kevin Masterson to see Thunderstrike 2, who I really liked in A Next and I know appeared in 90s comics Thunderstrike Volume 2 for a little minute. Like that was a nice little cameo, but I can't really for the life of me imagine why Thunderstrike and Thunderstrike are in this issue other than like if Kevin Masterson is going to be a part of the supporting cast going forward and this is his entry. Uh, It just seemed weird to resurrect Thunderstrike and then have him like die again the next issue and just to have been like a Revenant. It's a deep and unique character pull, but I, I can't figure figure out what it does for the story. Although I have to say, Kevin is so relatable. Who does not sing about mac and cheese while you're cooking mac and cheese? I, mean, <laughs> I absolutely make up songs all the time while I'm doing stuff alone in my house. And that was really fun. I did enjoy that. It was pretty cute. Yeah, I like the cameo and I, I kind of take it as a, okay, we're probably going to see more from this character or more surrounding the background of, of Thunderstrike and what that might mean mystically because many people have shared this mantle and you know it's been passed around like i loved clea because she was quick and witty still just you know ridiculously powerful of course but like i'm not 
seeing that here and i absolutely understand that yeah her husband just died twice over and she's she can be very driven but she seems so single-minded that she seems blinded by what the ramifications of something like necromancy would be which doesn't make any sense because she is the sorcerer supreme of the dark dimension so she should already know that magic has consequences she does talk a lot about like dueling egos and arrogant people and like i hate to say this about clea but clea is extremely arrogant in this issue <laughs> like she's <laughs> saying, well i know this would be impossible for anybody else but it isn't for me why doesn't anybody why aren't these people extremely frightened of me i have power over two dimensions and that's dangerous and i should keep on the lookout for it but you know by the end of the issue spoilers like you know she's just like no 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 i'm gonna go full warlord from my dimension because you know like that's that's what's necessary to protect things and it just it seems like while she's aware of the duality of her power and the danger that it represents she thinks herself a lot more capable of keeping it in check than she seems to actually be it's like she inherited the ego of stephen strange <laughs> when she got his powers it's like, yeah. well, you know, for anybody else, they couldn't do it, but I can't. I'm like, I'm sorry, are, are you old school Doctor Strange? Like, what the, what's going on with the ego? This is the same ego that you would have shited and, and just absolutely spit roasted into, like, oblivion. Because that's yeah. what you did to him when you first met him. Like, what the hell? Why are you being a dick now? I do feel like it is very strange for, like for her to be like, well, nothing's impossible for me, not even cheating death. And it's hard to say what Clea would and wouldn't think because throughout her appearances, she doesn't always get a lot of agency. But I do feel like Clea is the kind of person who would remind Stephen that there are actually rules that you have to play by. I, I can accept that like her grief is making her act a little bit more recklessly than she might otherwise but i also feel like her grief is not always reflected maybe she doesn't grieve like a mortal maybe people grieve in their own ways i absolutely understand that but she often just seems like she's kind of like having a chill time you know in the depths of depression like taking lots of baths and not wanting to do any work and kind of like trying to just drink wine and chill out with your friend and laugh is like absolutely a real coping strategy and a, a normal one mm -hmm. but clea often feels a little hard to get a grasp on as a character who is not immortal with regular thoughts and feelings but sometimes she is she feels like the plot hook that is sunk into the main character that is simply there to pull the main character back into the storyline i do love how jed gave us a little bit of insight into a little bit of what's going on in her mind right now especially with the enormous power that she has so she's not only the sorcerer supreme of earth dimension but she's also still the sorcerer supreme of the dark dimension so when she talks about how the combined powers that come from that are not allied with each other they're they're fighting against each other and she's got this war of personalities going on they're inside. oil and water they are oil and water sorry like, acid and stone acid and stone fire and ice <laughs> fire and ice peanut butter and nut jelly <laughs> i don't yeah, know butter french and fries and ice cream those goes together well orange juice and toothpaste orange juice and toothpaste that's right. <laughs> how do y'all feel about that clarification of what's going on inside of her 
it's kind of good to know where her head is and and like you know kind of her thought process because it does lend to why her character is doing what they are doing but it's almost like it's trying to explain things retroactively i would have loved to have seen like a majority of this conversation take place before and then have the fight and then come back to the rest of the conversation that way i think the fight probably would have made a bit more sense if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think part of this, like, I totally get that, like, she loves Strange whether or not they're married. Same with Strange, you know, they've both been in love with each other forever, and that goes well beyond the bounds of actually being married or being with each other. But it's just, like, for the past however many years prior to death of dr strange like they haven't really been together mm-hmm. like when they do get together it often ends pretty quickly with steven like manipulating or going behind her back or something and like they've mostly just been exes for like a really long time so like i i absolutely understand why she would want her ex brought back from the dead or her husband back brought back from the dead she loves him regardless of their like status together but because they've been kind of so separate other than like short appearances or wistful longing for so long it just just reads weird to me when i see her doing all of this because she has like this desperate need to have him come back to life i feel like grieving in the marvel universe especially when you're like a cosmic entity must be different or it feels like it must be different for me because like you know it's not permanent <laughs> maybe i'm reading x-men comics right? at this point i don't know <laughs> right you're like oh so we'll get the clone when okay two, two, two to five business days like yeah that's that's honestly kind of what like, it feels like but the, the sense of urgency and like utter loss like that he's completely gone is is something that seems like it should be normal but i feel yeah. like i've been trained by these kind of comic books to be like but you know he's gonna be back like and yeah. you'll, you'll figure it out you know it doesn't have to be this way it's, it could be any number of ways it's like one of the things that made the most sense in the comic that didn't always make sense was when sean cassidy died and they told Teresa how she was like he'll be back i don't know what he was talking about like, yeah <laughs> like, they were like she's in denial I was like, no, she's right. She's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. And I mean, the decision to explain like what was going on with Thunderstrike was kind of cool because like, you know, he said he's just possessed by a bunch of souls that have been driven mad by their identities being worn away over the time that they've been dead for so long. And that's that's cool because then we get a scene of them being exercised from him and going, ooh, (laughs) I appreciate that. But also he does summon Thunderstrike and Thunderstrike the mace, not Thunderstrike the person or Thunderstrike the son of the person, but Thunderstrike the mace, which should really have its own name. He summons it, and it's never been like explicitly said, but it's kind of like always been implied that somebody has to be worthy to wield the Thunderstrike mace. So I thought that was an interesting contrast between the fact that this is supposed to be just a bunch of mad souls, but it can still summon the mace. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I... the mace says the world still needs heroes on it. The implication there is that a, a hero is worthy to lift it, um, even if that's not like explicitly said. So I do love how many um, just various assorted Thor hammers there are just around the Marvel Universe. Like, oh, yeah. Like, Beta Ray Bill's got Stormbreaker. his own. 
Stormbreaker. We've got, you know, Thunderstrike. For some reason, there's an alternate version of Majolner and Dazzler's van when she tours. It takes with her yep. from Dazzler Thor. So there's just all kinds of weird. The Axe Yarn Bone. Hammer, Asgardian weapons just randomly, like, floating around. So I wonder where Thunderstrike was. Do you think Kevin just had it in his apartment? Yes. Oh, that's why the whole, that's why the. Go back, go, go back yeah. to that first panel. It comes out through a room in the. Oh, that's what that is wishing. Yeah, thought, that I just put that, that together. Yeah, that's so funny. I like for some reason I was like, oh, the wind, because his door's open. Clearly <laughs> <laughs> the hammer. I don't know why I did not make that connection. Yeah, and that's why he's looking out through that giant hole in the wall. So when he was looking out at the giant hole, I assumed he was looking out at the fight between the three, and I like because it's on the next page, and I thought that they had somehow smashed through his apartment on accident. But Same. So, so he's not even <laughs> present at the fight. It's just no, he's even far present away. at the fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of why it's a little weird that he just makes an appearance and. Okay. Hopefully he has more involvement in the plot in the future instead of just having him show up in this so quickly. Well, I mean, if it was sitting around in his apartment, you would think that he would have more involvement in this because he now has to go retrieve the dang thing. The mace went back. Well, I'd still want to know why did it leave in the first place? That's true. Yes. (laughs) The fact that it took two read-throughs and this recording for me to put that together. Looking back at the page, too, the one thing that really stands out is there's just a stark difference between the way the it looks on in the actual comic book versus where it looks on digital. When you look at that page, which if you're looking at on digital is page three, you know, the one where the hammer flies out. Like, if you're looking at digital, it, it's much brighter. And if you're looking at the comic page, it's it's much darker design. The colors are, are darker and deeper. It's like almost a totally different coloring job on it. Yeah, part of that is probably just that digital is lit up, but yeah. this comic feels feels a lot like darker and grayer in the physical copy I have. Hmm. Interesting. So what do we think of the turn as Clea becoming the warlord of New York, which is amazing and crazy. And I'm really wondering where it's going to go. What about y'all? I'm scared. (laughs) She scares me. Yeah, I, I really like the fiery design that's more Dormammu-like at the end of this. Although yeah. the inking, I, I still think, could be a little finer. It's very heavy on the face, but it does it does have a little bit of, like, Dave Cockrum Nightcrawler vibe to it. So I'm, I'm kind of digging that. Well, and, and I mean, look at those flame patterns. Like, that's that's interesting. It's visual. It's eye-catching. It pops. I also really kind of like the gloves. That that interesting texture at the top. Like, is this is slowly getting better. It's more of what I'm expecting. Maybe that's the point of it. Maybe it's going to build the costume up the whole run. That that would be cool. The idea of Clea becoming a warlord of Manhattan in order to protect the people there is an interesting one that like seems obvious as like she's a dark dimension person she's one of the Valteen it's like in her nature to to dominate and to use dark powers to intimidate the non-magical or the weaker members of her dimension 
and obviously this is going to cause tension with Wong and with the world because you know the Sorcerer Supreme of Earth is not a dictator. Uh, this is not how they run things here. Obviously, a lot of this series is going to be her like understanding what works on Earth and what doesn't, and probably the tension between that. But it's kind of surprising to me that she like flips so quickly into that. But like you know, also this entire like cool bazaar of black market people that she just befriended have just been brutally murdered uh, so i i get that she's like really on edge right now and having a real bad time yeah i'm oh. hoping that Wong can uh kind of <laughs> try to steer her away from like mass murder or anything like that but warlord no 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 Wong can sit himself down let her do her thing <laughs> <laughs> i mean it, it makes sense because She's already dealing with the loss of Steven. She just had to deal with Thunderstrike becoming a revenant. And now she's being hit with this entire community being brutally murdered by this gang that she thought she had put in their place. So it's been a lot on her in such a short time. It's kind of understanding why she would kind of crack at this point. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I, can t- I can totally yeah. understand it. It is frightening, and I think it opens up a lot of cool story potential. I also really like what Wong says, where he's, he points out specifically that death has created a counterpart to the Sorcerer Supreme, an opposite yeah. number. That is a super intriguing concept, especially since death wants to keep Stephen Strange there. Have you seen the artwork for hopefully the next cover? I'm... Oh. I, I haven't seen the artwork for the next cover. I'm not a fan of these covers, personally. I don't like how it looks like a teen girl. It's it's very, very different from the last couple of covers that we got. And I kind of hope that that leads into the artwork inside as well. Because, hmm. yeah, this feels better. The next cover, I should say. The demon creatures in the back? I don't want to call them demons. We don't know their backstory. Maybe they're not demons. They look like they're being protected by Cleo. The so. magical yeah. creatures in the back? Like, those are really, really cool. And, yeah, besides the fact that Cleo does look like she's, like, Gabby. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot appreciate that. Very well done. It's beautiful. And yeah, hopefully the story is going to progress to where we see the art match the more mystical nature that we're expecting on the series. And that, that's something I definitely hope for, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I have a feeling that now that she's embracing her warlord side a little more, that we're definitely going to see more of the dark dimension magical side of things. So hopefully it won't be as just her holding back as much i want to hear some dark dimension spells not some earth sorcerer supreme spells i want to hear some dark dimension spells because if you're going to keep bringing up how the dark dimension and the earth realm those two powers clash i want to see them clash i want to see what happens when you use a dark dimension spell on earth Mm. and what kind of kickback does that have like give it to me you're so close i can feel it i have faith in you so you don't want any more of the hoary hosts of hagath (laughs) no i really don't i really really don't like i get that that hagath and a lot of the upper echelon of of gods and entities and whatnot are very much universal and multi-dimensional i 
get that. But I want to hear more because I have a feeling like certain dimensions would lean more towards one type of entity and other dimensions would lean more towards other types of entities. So I kind of want to, I want to feel that difference because if I wanted just Stephen Strange on the page, you didn't have to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> Something you were talking about wanting to see more dark dimension type spells. Like if I think about it, a lot of the spells that, you know, Strange was really known for, especially like the Crimson Bands of Cyderac, like that's its own mystical realm. Like there's a Sorcerer Supreme of that dimension as well. So like, you know, there is a lot of the magic Steven used that really sort of like flowed over all of these dimensions, these mystical dimensions. Yeah, he was usually calling on warlords mm-hmm. or um, various mystical entities for to borrow their powers is generally like how he works. Mm-hmm. Oh God, what powers do they borrow from us then? Uh, well, <laughs> I, uh, Stephen Strange talks a lot about like earth magic and it's very funny because like when earth magic goes away, he can't call on like a lot of stuff, but it's like he's usually not calling on stuff that is from the earth dimension. So right. I don't, I don't not really I sure. need the little old lady from Pasadena. <laughs> uh, I call upon the standing stones of Stonehenge. By the flame of the statue in New York City. <laughs> I call forth the 11 herbs and spices. <laughs> For the bagel, that is everything. Freezing. <laughs> 32 flavors. <laughs> oh, no. Earth magic is uh, oh, God. I hadn't even thought of that. Like, yeah, since Stephen Strange is always calling on entities from other dimensions. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, oh, my God. That's that's a whole new and weird ramification. And honestly, I'd kind of like to see that. This actually opens up a couple of questions I have. Why does Clea have to call upon the flames of the Faltine when she is a Faltine and has the flames? <laughs> <laughs> and also bro magdon is just a great name i want to shout out to jed there for bro magdon's ruby rain really good yeah ruby rain. <laughs> i think obviously i'm digging where this story is going i'm on board it wasn't maybe as instant of a grab for me as death of dr strange or like moon knight i think there's a little bit more of a buy-in you've got to do with this because you don't know the character as well even if you didn't know moon knight going into reading Jim mckay's moon knight series which i didn't know him that well like you knew who he was right and i think we're still learning who clea is and that's what jed's trying to say to us because kind of like some other characters like electro we've only gotten clea through a lot of times through the eyes of her interactions with her lovers absolutely i think for that reason alone this series is worth sticking around for and the fact that jed mckay has made me a true believer of his skill at writing especially when writing women i am I'm here for it and I'm going to be sticking around, but I got to say, I do hope that the art becomes something I either get used to or it changes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm there with you on that. And like, just because we have some, some critique does not mean that we don't love the story that's actually being put. We're just hoping that the art and the plot like start to sync up a little bit more and, and harmonize a little bit more because right now they just seem at odds. Like the art feels like it belongs to a slightly different story or style versus is the plot that we're getting so i am totally here for this book i am definitely staying on for several more issues
issues, to say the very least. That's never been a question because it's a good plot. It is a good story. And I see a lot of potential and I want to see where this goes. I think the central part of this book is it's a book about relationships. Obviously, it's the book about lost Clea is feeling about the loss of her relationship with Steven. It's of Steven's life, really, I think. Yeah, the loss of Steven's yeah. life. You know, like, right. even if they've had a very complex relationship over the years, even if they came back together sure. <laughs> before his death, you know, in a final, like, you know, Clea may, Strange may always be the one who got away to Clea, but, like, I think it's, you know, just the loss of him in his life. But I think one of the things that really has fascinated me is this relationship, not only with, with Stephen Strange's supporting cast, you know, we get to see a relationship built up between her and Wong, and her and Bats. I love her and Bats. It's amazing. <laughs> Bats is amazing. But, uh, like, I love boy. So, like, how how are y'all feeling about the relationships that Clea is establishing in this book? I appreciate her intense need to protect these black market people that she met like yesterday. Like I like that she clearly has this like protective urge, especially towards like a good and nice free thing that she sees. I like that she spends a lot of this issue talking about how much she respected and cared for her Thunderstrike. You know, like she's she knows it's a revenant and she knows it's just a bunch of ghosts and she could cut it open, but she still like takes the time out to say like, hey, for what it's worth, I know you're not even in there, but I want to say I respected you and I liked you. You know, Mm -hmm. it was good working with you. Yeah, there were some honestly really great moments where we got to see a development of Clea. And I, I thought those were some brilliant moments and I want to see more of them because she is a very deep and, and storied character. And like you said, in the past, we've only got like little glimpses of her. So I want to know more about her. I want to know kind of what drives her and, and the kindness that she has, but also the depths of the rage that can be brought up. Yeah, I agree. I really like that the juxtaposition between that caring that she shows and that brutal rage when things don't go her way. Seeing her just building that friendship with Wong and cuddling with bats and becoming friends with the market people and then finding out what happens it's such a really cool way to build her up and to make her an interesting character and that's that's really what is making me excited to read the next issue because i want to know how that is going to how she's going to present that rage and the uh connection that she has made with those people yeah i uh kind of hope she goes like full shadowlands as well. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. We may have seemed to be a little bit rough on it, like some, especially the art. And it's not that the art is something that I don't think is very technically well done and executed. It's not what I was expecting the visual tone of this book to be. And, you know, maybe that's more of my expectations than something else. But, you know, I I just, I, I want to say, like, I, I'm loving to see how everything's going to come together in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm definitely there with you on that. Um, I know that we have critiqued the book heavily, but it is also because we also have a 
very kind of high expectation for any book that Jeb McKay is on. So yeah, part of this very, very, very well may be our own expectations, our own biases that are there. Um, but hopefully, you know, things will get minor adjustments on both sides and, and we will find the mid ground that makes sense for this book. Cause I think it has so much potential to be an amazing book and possibly even an amazing culmination of uh, deep dive characters that we have not seen in quite some years. Mm. We've been kind of spoiled with a huge amount of really good art, especially in the X office lately. And like, I don't know, pencilers, inkers and colorists have been clicking at Marvel in a way over the last like five years that they haven't in like 30, 40 years. And it's really amazing to see. So when I do see something that doesn't just blow me away, it is sometimes I have to readjust expectations, but we'll see. Yeah, readjust expectations is definitely a good way of putting it. Oh, do you want to touch on We didn't actually get to touch on the lettering in this issue beyond the ooze that I really liked, but I do want to end on a good note. So I would like to say like one of my favorite pages in this, probably my favorite page is the one where the Harvest Man says, for you, Mistress Death, a grim harvest. And like an anime villain looking completely away, chops off of Thunderstrike's head. And it's like this, it's this really gory chunk that Corey Pettit puts on the page. Mm. It's nearly unreadable in how like disjointed it is in the the two layers that it has. And I kind of like that. A lot of times I get kind of frustrated with lettering that is like unreadable, especially when it's a sound effect where I like, I can't figure out what it's supposed to be. This would pose a lot more problems for people with worse eyes or colorblind eyes, I'm sure. But Mm. honestly, like it is, it really matches the just like gross, sick sounding of like just chopping yeah. off a ghoul's head <laughs> so I really said. and it also follows the arc of the side so yes mm-hmm. thank you i really like that yeah, yeah. The, the lettering and and especially like the sound effects in this were rather well placed and well done mm-hmm. and i do appreciate the the lettering when she goes full warlord at the end of the book <sighs> that gave some feels so that was like, yes, I will have to admit the lettering was very, very well done. And it did a lot for this book. Even like with Thunderstrikes, like all black word bubbles with the white letters. This is one of those books you can look at and you can go like, oh, I can really see what lettering does to elevate a book. Because there is a lot that they get to do that has fun with, you know, like word balloons, you know, different fonts for different characters, different colors for different characters. And just the sound effects, oh, especially the chalk, that's so good. <laughs> like, the thud when the head hits the ground right afterwards, like, per- like it's just perfection. Yeah, I do like that the, the scythe is also, like, vibrating at the tip, just in the way that it would as mm-hmm. a long, thin piece of metal. Yep. Yeah. Thunderstrikes attacks. Each way that he swings the mace, it has a different sound effect, and each of those sound effects has a unique way of being displayed. Yes! Mm-hmm. Like, there's a wham, which yeah, feels wham. more earthy and then there's a wang which feels more metallic yes <laughs> exactly <laughs> <Raven. laughs> there's lots of different types of wangs the metallic wangs earthy wangs 